Welcome back to the Aging Project Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together, my friends, we're on a mission to age well, bloody well, if I'm being honest. Let's be real, though. We all need guidance when it comes to aging well, and that's why we've gathered the best possible support team for us. No topic is off limits, and I promise to ask all the right questions, your questions. Before we dive in, don't forget to join our growing community of women from around the world. Sign up at theagingproject.com.au and become part of the Aging Project community. You'll gain access to our treasure trove of podcast episodes, our free five-day morning challenge, and did you know we now have an online store called You Must Try It? It includes products we've discovered from our podcast guests and community. Think low-tox skincare, low-tox makeup, supplements, and more. You'll only find products we've tried, tested, and we love at youmusttryit.com. Are you ready to begin today's episode? Alrighty, let's do it. So make sure the habits that you're trying to change are ones that really mean a lot to you, that that are valuable enough to you to really want to change them. If you value your health more than that glass of wine, it'll be much easier to break that habit. Today, we are talking habits. I think it was Aristotle who said, we are what we repeatedly do. And isn't that the truth? Our habits play an important role in our lives, and it's fair to say they will impact how well we age. But changing old habits and building new ones isn't easy. I can contest to that firsthand. Exercise, still something I struggle with. So let's welcome Dr. Gina Cleo, a woman who is going to help us master the magic of building healthy, lifelong habits. Dr. Gina Cleo. Gina, it's lovely to have you here with us on The Aging Project today. Thanks so much, Shelley. Great to be here. Now, how did you come about studying habits? I know that you are originally or a trained dietitian. Where did this idea of of habit finding, habit solving, um, studying of habits come from? Yeah, it was very left field. You know, I think uh, being a habit researcher was always my calling, but the decision to study habits came from my desire to help people achieve long-term change. So I was working as a dietitian and I did that for about 10 years and I loved my career, but I found that I could only help people short-term. You know, they were coming back into the clinic to work on the very same things we'd already worked so hard to achieve before. Mm -hmm. And I originally, honestly, I thought I was a terrible dietitian. I'm a big foodie and I was like, maybe I'm just being too lenient. But when I looked at the medical literature, I realized that 95% of people who lose weight, for example, will regain that weight again. And I thought we need answers. We need to understand long-term sustainable change Mm -hmm. and hence started the 10-year incredible journey in researching and understanding and teaching about habits. My goodness. And some habits aren't so bad. I was a nail biter as a kid. And the day I finished year 12, I've, I've never bitten my nails since. And I think, well, that's a pretty harmless one. Although I'm sure as a dietitian and Lindsay, our clinical nutritionist would disagree. Eating nail matter <laughs> is not a good idea. <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter what sort of habit it is. But there's obviously some, some very deep rooted habits there. How do habits even evolve? Where do, where do they start? Habits happen because of three key ingredients, and they are a trigger, a routine, and a reward. And every single habit that you have 
has these three things. Mm -hmm. Basically, your brain starts to realize that you're doing the same thing at the same time and it's giving you some kind of reward. So Shelly, for you, nail biting might have been a way to manage anxiety or to give you something to do. And your brain's like, oh, every time I feel a bit anxious and I bite my nails, I feel a little bit better because I'm being distracted from my anxiety. So I'm going to do that next time I feel anxious again. Mm -hmm. And that's how we create habits is our brain recognizes when we're doing certain things and that it's giving us a reward. And so then it puts it in the automated part of our brain that's like, okay, I don't have to think consciously about that anymore. I know it works and I know it's a sure way to get exactly the reward that I'm seeking. Right. So habits, routines and rituals are three very different things because they're they're born from a different place in your brain. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a, a routine would be then your, your exercise regime in the morning or the way that you hop out of bed, brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, whatever it is, the way that you actually do things is more of a routine than a habit or can it be the same thing? Yeah, so to understand, I guess, the difference between habits, routines and rituals, let's take back a step and go, well, what is actually a habit? So we've got two forces that govern our behavior and one is intention and one is habit. You can say that's kind of like your two brain systems, like a computer with two processes that work simultaneously. Your intentions are your deliberate behaviors, like how do I get from A to B? Your habits, on the other hand, are subconscious and they work automatically. Mm -hmm. You know, we make over 35,000 decisions every single day and your brain needs to preserve energy so that you can live in this life more efficiently. So your routines are things that you might do regularly, like going to the gym, for example, but your habits are those subconscious actions that are triggered by something. So that subconscious action might be at 5.30 in the morning when my alarm goes off, I get out of bed to go to the gym. The habit is actually getting up and getting ready for the gym. The routine is that you're exercising regularly. Okay, so something like smoking, uh, which is a choice, that would start as a routine and eventually evolve into a habit where you don't even realise that you've lit another one possibly, that you've, you're halfway through the pack before you even know it. Would that be a habit? Is smoking yes. a habit, not a routine? Absolutely. Smoking is a habit, not a routine. And you can think of it, and I have done this before, Shelley, when I'm halfway through a bag of chips and I've just said to myself, I'm going to eat healthier. And I'm like, how did I get here? How did I go grab the packet, open it, sit down, start eating it before even realizing what I'm doing? And that's because habits are subconscious. It would almost feel weird if you didn't do it. Something would feel like it was missing. That's when you know it's a habit. Okay. And so if we want to go about changing these, how far into our mind or how far into our subconscious do we need to go and how do you even get there? <laughs> The first step of changing our habits is being mindful of them. Exactly. And that's exactly what you're saying. Like, cause they're, they're how far in your mind do you need to go? So I do something called habit mapping with people and it's really valuable. It's basically when you're writing down the, your routines for the day. What is it that I'm doing regularly? And are those things serving me or not? And then you want to see, okay, the, the, the habits that you would like to change. When are you doing them? What's the trigger? Is it the time of day? Is it the place you're in? Is it a feeling that you're having? Is it the people that you're around? Is it what you've just done beforehand? And then you want to work out, okay, so if this trigger is creating this habit, then I need to change either the trigger or the habit. So I'll give you an example. 
say each time you get home in the evening, you eat a cookie and you really love the taste and texture of these cookies. That's going to be your reward. When you first do that, a mental link is created between getting home and eating a cookie. The more you repeat that behavior, the more your brain goes, oh, I'm recognizing this. It's something that I'm doing like regularly, so I'm going to automate it. And those neural pathways in your brain become stronger. Eventually, just thinking of getting home is going to prompt you to want to eat the cookie because that habit loop, which is the cue routine reward, has been triggered. What we do, though, when we're trying to change is we focus so much on changing the behavior, don't we? We go, Mm -hmm. we come home and we're like, those cookies are dead to me today. I am not going to eat those cookies. (laughs) And then we walk in the house and the first thing we realize is the cookies are already in your mouth. Because it's subconscious, the habit loop has already been triggered. So what we need to do is recognize getting home is what's triggering me to eat a cookie. So I need to do something different. So then you would prepare yourself. You would say, today, I'm going to crave eating a cookie as soon as I get home. But what I'm going to do instead is this. And you change the plan. If you can avoid the trigger for your unwanted habits, do that because then you'll break your habits instantly. But well, you can't you got, not you go home. You've got to come home, Gina. <laughs> exactly. Home. Can't not go home. <laughs> and don't exchange the cookie for a glass of wine either. <laughs> yes, don't do that. Or a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. So those three parts, the cue or the prompt, the behaviour of actually doing it, and then the reward afterwards. So, yes. I mean, I guess the key here is to not try and change all your habits at once because that would just unravel you completely. Completely, yes. Our brains are only capable of making up to three changes at once. And actually research shows that if you just focus on one habit to change at a time, you're much more likely to actually achieve successful change than if you're focusing on multiple things. And I know for the high achievers, that's really hard to do. I mean, <laughs> I find that a challenge, but The thing is, the less you do something, the weaker those neural pathways become in your brain and therefore it becomes even easier to break the next day. Same with forming new habits. The more you repeat it, the more automatic it becomes. So Mm -hmm. the idea is just to get to change your brain a little bit and then you can add in another habit that you'd like to change. But just give yourself time focusing on one change at a time. Can't get to your GP and need a prescription, a medical certificate, or simply need to speak with a doctor today? Instant Scripts doctors are online seven days a week from 6am to midnight with over 150 doctors, that's real doctors and real convenience. Instant Scripts lets you request scripts or speak to a doctor from anywhere in Australia. Online healthcare couldn't be easier. That's why over 1 million people trust Instant Scripts with their health. Use the discount code TAP10 for 10% off and see why Australians love Instant Scripts. T's and C's apply. Visit instantscripts.com.au for details. I think we know, as you mentioned, type A personalities there. I think there's lots of personalities that get um, addicted quite quickly and that has to be um, Yes, a personality trait that we have. So how long does it take to break the habit and then to form a new one? And if we have one that's so deeply rooted, is there sort of that that failure rate that you need to just keep trying before you get there? Oh, so many juicy questions. Okay, <laughs> let me start with how long does it take to create a habit? 
there are so many myths out there that basically say that it takes either 21 days or 28 days to change a habit. And I do corporate presentations all around the world. And I always ask people, how long do you think it takes to change a habit? And at least 80% of people will say 21 days. And so I love breaking this myth because it is not true. This was a study done in the 1960s with a surgeon who was doing facial surgery on people. And he noticed that it would take people about three weeks to get used to their new face. And so he's like, okay, it takes three weeks to change your brain. That means it takes three weeks to change a habit. We can now see that that is not generalizable. And there are other habits that are much harder to change. Therefore, it's going to take longer. So the most up-to-date research shows that it takes anywhere between 18 days to 254 days or up to a year basically to change a habit. I know it's not great okay. news, but so you got an average. <laughs> You've got to commit. You've got to keep on keeping on. That's it. That's why I say consistency is the secret source to creating new habits. Mm-hmm. But there's an average time frame and that's 66 days. Commit yourself to 10 weeks of, of doing something over and over again and you will find eventually It'll be like second nature. But also, it's only at the very beginning that you need all that motivation and self-control because remember, the more you're doing it, the easier it's becoming. So 66 days sounds like a long time, but you know, throughout that period, you'll start enjoying it and it gets easier and easier. We are, of course, as they say, creatures of habit, but you've got to then get into the habit of committing each day to breaking the habit, don't you? And that might be a way. We are all about baby steps here at The Ageing Project. (laughs) Yes. I imagine there's some that are a lot more significant than others. Obviously, as I said, nail biting, not not terribly um, detrimental to health, but there are so many habits out there that we do form that are really just plain bad for us. And to overcome that mental barrier, um, as you're saying, you know, give yourself half a chance to to know that you can actually do this. I think it it is that battle, isn't it? Absolutely. And it really is about consistency. And so if, and, and I like to call these micro habits, I like to say to people, do something so small that you feel like you can't say no to it. If a half an hour walk feels too big, don't do it. Don't even aim to do it yet. Just walk out to your letterbox and back. But you know, once you've got your shoes on, your active wear on, and you walk out to your letterbox, you might be curious what's down the road, but that might be the next day. But what you're doing is you're initiating the habit. You're starting that habit loop. And that's where the magic happens. It's like, just show up, just start. It's not about the outcome. It's about starting. And once you do that, you will naturally expand your habit and do more and more and more of it. Now, you asked me before, Shelley, how long does it take to break a habit? We, it's really hard to find research on this and it's really hard to study it actually, because you might have a habit of, say, say you're nail biting, you are able to break that at grade 12. Amazing effort. Well done you. Other people have been biting their nails their whole lives. And so how long it takes to break a habit depends on a whole range of things. How habitual you are as a person, how strong that habit is in your life, what your support community is like around you, what your environment's like, how badly you want to break that habit. So I have had habits where I've just clicked my fingers and they've been gone because I'm like, that does not serve me anymore. Whereas I've had other habits that I'm not completely convinced aren't that great for me. So they may linger in my life a little bit longer. So that's how long it takes to break a habit. Really, it's going to be up to you. Okay, we're all about sharing here, Gina. Come on, what's one of your habits? 
<laughs> give it to me. Do you know what? As soon as I said it, I knew, I knew you'd say that. Because <laughs> well, I'm setting myself up here. You are, yes. But you know you want to share. This is going to help you through I the do. process. Okay, okay. Here I am. So it's, it's nothing too juicy, but I really love sleep and I value sleep very, very much. I think it's one of the most underrated things we can do for our health. And amen. I was like, okay, amen. I love it. I was like, okay, here are the list of things I need to do to improve my sleep. And it was reduce alcohol, reduce caffeine, which I don't have too much of anyway, um, reduce screen time two hours before bed. And that one I wasn't so good with. I kept sort of, I'll just quickly check that and mm-hmm. I'll just quickly have a look at this notification or whatever it might be. Next minute, I'm finding myself watching, I don't know, I mean, interrogations. Like I love true crime. I was watching true crime interrogations right before bed. It was just oh not God. working for my sleep. I know. Have it. <laughs> it's so bad. It's okay. Maybe it is juicy. But then I looked at some research that showed the difference in our deep sleep when we do and when we don't look at screens two hours before bed. And as soon as I saw that study, it was like screens are off. I changed all my light bulbs to be no blue light globes. And so Mm -hmm. all the lights that I've got in my bedroom are not going to harm my melatonin and my sleep. And that was instant. If you send me a message two hours before bed, I'm not even going to read it. All power to you because that is a big one. That is a really big habit that I can probably say that 99.5% of the Ageing Project community are guilty of this particular habit. So do you now sort of remove the temptation by taking your phone, any device out of the bed? It's not allowed through the barrier of the bedroom door? (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly what I do. I remove temptation and not because I think I will be tempted, but because I don't want to have a moment of weakness and be tempted because mm-hmm. the longer I don't do that habit, the less it's going to be a habit in my life. So I now charge my phone in my en suites in the bathroom. Um, and then I've just got a book. I've always got a book on hand right next to my bed. And so because I've got something else to keep me occupied, I'm like, I'm good. And I value sleep so much that it kind of doesn't bother me too much now. So you put that before all else. Absolutely. I love sleep. <laughs> There is a technique that I was reading about called the five-second rule, and no, this isn't when you you know, you know drop a piece of cake on the floor and you've got five seconds to eat it before it's contaminated. Um, what is the five-second rule when it comes to habit-breaking or habit-management? Yeah, the five-second rule is basically do not, don't think. So it's do, don't think. And I sometimes say to myself, Gina, don't negotiate with the devil. And it's my way of, you know, when you get up in the morning and you're like, should I go to the gym? Should I exercise? You know, it's kind of raining outside, even though you're inside at the gym, for example, like it's all these excuses that take place. Well, we know that the longer you ruminate about a decision, the less likely you are to take action towards that decision. The more I contemplate whether I should go to the gym or not, the more my brain's going to come up with all these reasons why getting out of bed is a terrible idea. So the five-second rule is as soon as you think about doing something you want to do, you count down five, four, three, two, one, and you just go. You don't think about it. You just move. You just take action. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Do, don't think. That is, you don't even need to write a book. That's just it, isn't it? (laughs) That's it. Do, don't think. And you know what? It's harder than, I mean, I've tried this before and it works for some of the things that you want to do and it doesn't work so much for the things you don't want to do, but it's about discipline. It's about Mm -hmm. just doing it. Because like I was saying, 
starting is the hardest part. And so if you can just start, the rest becomes easier. But then I think the other thing to manage here, and you said it beautifully, Shelley, before when you said it's about just making small changes. We're all about small changes and that's totally speaking my language. I think that all the go hard, go home mentality doesn't work. But unfortunately, our society is geared towards that belief system. But once we have an understanding of that, smaller changes aren't only easier to start, but they're actually easier to maintain long term. That's when we see consistency. And so if you're really battling with wanting to do something and you're just not quite getting yourself to do that, change the goalposts, make your goals smaller and work yourself up to it. A quick reminder, our sister platform, youmusttryit.com, has gentle cleansers, vitamin A, at-home red light therapy devices, hair regrowth, and gut health products. We've got you covered. We've done the research and found the best products to support us age well. Now, back to our conversation. One of the big ones would be, and this is something that we've discussed over and over here on The Aging Project, and it's the one you don't really want to hear, but you know you have to, so I'm, I'm okay to bring this up, is obviously that glass of wine at the end of the day, that to some, that's all it is. And yes, it is a habit, but it's not that bad. Obviously, alcoholism is a different level to that altogether. There are obviously certain habits that are going to need some outside help or um, support from other areas. How do you go about um, helping clinically, helping someone with a really, really bad habit? If you're talking about alcoholism as in um, like the addiction of Mm. alcoholism, then yeah, a multidisciplinary approach is completely needed. So we would have psychologists and doctors and habit researchers all on board with that. If it's somebody who just sort of enjoys a glass of wine after work or at the end of the day and wouldn't be classified as an addictive drinker, then I would implement all the habit change theories and that could be enough. Um, I think psychology is awesome for all of us. I'm a huge fan of therapy, so I will never say no to that. But what I would do in that case is, again, look back at your trigger. When are you doing it? Is it the same time, same place? Is it because of a certain feeling? What reward are you getting from that? So a, a client I worked with recently, I call her Vanessa. Vanessa used to come home, she'd have a glass of wine, and her doctor, though, said to her, I really need you to have more alcohol-free days a week. And she was super committed to doing it, but she came home and just like me with a bag of chips, she was halfway through her glass of wine before realizing that she had somehow gone to the cupboard, poured the wine, you know, got a glass, all of that. And she's sitting on the couch drinking. And so she knew that coming home was her trigger and unwinding from the day was her reward. And that's why she was having that wine. So what we did is we firstly eliminated wine from the house and I'm not a huge fan of abstinence, but I am if it's a habit that you're really struggling to break and you almost feel like you're teetering on the edge of being out of control with it. Research shows that 30 days of abstinence is really important for things like that. It could be a bad relationship. It could be a glass of wine. So 30 days of abstinence. So we removed alcohol from her house. We moved in the glasses of wine from the cupboard that they were in and we exchanged them for mugs for tea. And then I explored all the different things that could help her unwind that wasn't alcohol. We explored taking a bath, reading, stretching, meditating, having a glass of, having a a warm 
a herbal tea, and she found that stretching for 10 minutes really gave her that reward of winding down. And so instead of coming home and walking to the kitchen, Vanessa now walks home. She goes directly to her bedroom where her stretching station's set up. She's got her mat and her like music ready, and she can just do that for 10 minutes and unwind. On the days where she's feeling weaker and she goes to grab that glass of wine, those glasses are no longer in that same cupboard. So she's like, she has a moment to go, oh yeah, I'm not going to do that because I'm not, I'm choosing not to do that today. And then she makes herself a herbal tea. And that's how Vanessa broke her wine drinking habit. Well, we wish Vanessa all the best in sticking that out because there's always going to be that temptation, isn't there, or that one really crappy day at work where you're Mm. just going to come home and you're just going to fall back into that pattern. But hopefully, again, it's just for the day and the next day she's back to stretching. That is is what we hope. Gina, obviously those habits that we have that we probably picked up as a kid, we don't even know where they started or why they started. It might be that idea of putting your um, socks on before your undies when you're getting ready for school or something like that. But then there's other habits that get triggered by life events, and I know that's part of your story. It is, Shelley. Two years ago, I found out that my ex-husband was cheating on me. And what made this a particularly really like difficult trauma was I believed 100% that that could not be possible. And we had a great relationship. We had the dream house, you know, the dream careers. We had a beautiful dog and the white picket fence. And, and, he, and he was very affirming of the relationship. So there's, if you'd said to me, I saw your ex doing this, I'd be like, no, there's no way. You're mistaken. But then as I started to see these text messages pop up of um, basically it was an exchange with somebody that he had just met with and photographs, my entire world was completely fractured. And it was almost like my brain was fractured because here I was believing 100% that this could not be true and then realizing that it absolutely is true. And not only that, it's been happening for at least a year. It's been happening since before we got married. So on one hand, I've got this guy saying, let's have a family together. I love you so much. And let's try for babies. And then on the other hand, he's living this complete double life. And I missed it. And I don't know how I missed it. And so if when I say my mind was fractured, I thought, okay, if I was wrong about that, what else am I wrong about? Because there's got to be more. And I questioned everything. Do we even need to shower every day? Is brushing our teeth a good idea? I mean, do we? why do we drive on the left-hand side of the road? Nothing made sense to me anymore. And I developed something called agoraphobia, which is basically a fear of leaving your own home, which was really crazy for me because prior to that, I'd never even experienced anxiety or depression or I was very successful in my business. I was a very confident person. So this was just a huge turn in my life. And I really rebuilt myself through, you know, hours and hours of therapy and reading and family and friends support. But I also applied the foundational principles that I teach in my habit courses. And that is making small achievable changes, creating the cue response associations, which is those habit loops, finding motivation in action, not waiting to be motivated to do something. It's like, no, this is a good idea and I'm just going to do it. And motivation comes from that. And I gradually developed my habits again. And it started off, honestly, with 
Gina, today all you need to do is brush your teeth. Just brush your teeth and you can go back to bed for the day. And that's what I do. And then the next day it was brush your teeth and have a shower today. And then I would do that. And the next day I'd layer something else on. And that is how I've come from being a terrified, traumatized shell of a woman to the person I am today, who I'm so proud of. And I feel so strong. And I'm right, you know, the book that I'm writing has got the story in it. And it's just really highlighted the power of habit change in my personal life. And you are, Gina, you are bigger, better, <laughs> stronger, tougher and more powerful than ever before. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us because I know it will resonate with so many of our listeners. Thanks, Shelley. I appreciate that. Also, what was it, Gina, deep down? Do you, was there a defining moment in your, um, in your despair that you remember there was that the flick of the switch or that one phrase that someone said to you or was it a really sort of slow progression that now you can't even really trace where it began, the, the start of your recovery? Yeah, I think the phrase was, your trauma is not your fault but your healing is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that responsibility was put in my hands, I knew what I had to do and... I probably took it too far. I think I was a bit hypervigilant. You know, I, I read literally every single book and I, I knew, you know, the separation laws inside out and I, I did every type of therapy, you know, I was probably really excessive with it. But as soon as I knew that it was my responsibility, that no one was going to come with a magic wand and heal me, that it was my choice to get up and make a decision for myself, I had to show up for myself. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, there's nothing more important than this. Work can wait. Everything else can wait. I need me right now. And that's what changed. And that's a beautiful lesson in itself, isn't it, for anything, whether it is habit changing yeah. or going out and, and seeking that new career or life that you are after. It does come down to us. There's only so yep. much help that you're going to be able to receive um, before yeah. you have to make that change for yourself, that yeah. decision. Absolutely. And I think receiving help is part of that even, you know, Mm. it's seeking help and accepting it and not being too independent. I mean, and saying, yeah, I'm having a weak moment. I need you to, I say to my two best friends, you were like my legs on the days that I couldn't do it myself. And it's truly how I see it. They were just like pillars of strength and I would fall over all the time, but I had people around me that just wouldn't give up on me as well. And kept you know kept me going so it wasn't um it certainly wasn't a journey that I took alone. Is that a great thing obviously a declaration of what um, you're wanting to achieve say for Vanessa um, our lovely case study before who wanted to break that habit of of drinking of the night time would is it a great idea to tell other people that this is the mission that you're on so that they can check in on you or perhaps ring you at five o'clock when they know you're about to arrive home or is it something that you should perhaps keep to yourself so then there's not that fear <laughs> of failure when you fall off the wagon I think if you're telling people who understand that success is not a linear process then it's a great idea if you if you're saying to your friends for example I'm not going to drink anymore and then they see you down at the pub having a drink, you're going to feel shame, you're going to feel judged, you may feel criticized. But actually, maybe that drink is part of your journey because you've now abstained for two weeks and you allowed yourself to have that drink that night and then you're going to abstain again. And so if 
if the people in your world are truly connected to not just your goal, but your journey, then it's a great idea. Accountability can double our chance of success. So what's what's the language as a support person that you should use? Because you don't want to go, ah, you're having a drink. You don't want to make them feel that guilt. Is is it is there a phrase that we can use as a support person? You know what? Just be there. So they they can see you. You don't need to say anything, really. I think it's all just about positive reinforcement. You've done so well the last two weeks. I'm so proud of you. You know, this drink is the first you've had in the last couple of weeks, whereas before you'd be doing this every day. Well done. And just yeah. be positive, have that positive reinforcement. It's going to, yeah, make do wonders. We've just launched something new over at theagingproject.com.au and we would love you to join our free five-day morning challenge. One thing I've learned here at the Aging Project podcast is that aging well comes down to you and me and the hundreds of tiny decisions we make every single day. And those decisions start the moment we wake up. So let's reboot our mornings today. Over the five days, we'll delve into the power of gratitude, the joy of journaling, the energizing effects of music, the importance of hydration, and the art of self-care. Just go to theagingproject.com.au and I'll see you there. Well, you've got two great programs that run now online. You've obviously got one that is for um, professionals, clinical professionals, and then one for us that we can sign up to and do our our 12-week habit breaking. Uh, How do we get hold of you? Where do we find you, Gina? Oh, thank you so much. So on my website, Dr. Gina Cleo, or you can get me on any social platforms as Dr. Gina Cleo. So yes, I've got those two programs. There's more coming and there's also a book that it will be published in January 2024, which will be sharing all the things about my personal story. And then it's really like a guided manual on how to create new habits and break old habits and understanding more about why we do the things we do. It sounds fantastic. And just again, you've, you've got to be ready, don't you? You've really got to have made, I guess, that, that ultimate decision that I'm ready to make a change because I can imagine it's pretty impossible if you haven't committed. Absolutely. You know, the word decision comes from the Latin decidere, which is to cut off, to strike out all other options. And that's a space you really need to be before uh, moving into change. Change is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that part. Change is hard. It requires dedication, planning, intention, mental energy. And so if you're not willing to cut off all other options and move forward with that goal that you want, you can have a really hard time. So make sure the habits that you're trying to change are ones that really mean a lot to you, that that are valuable enough to you to really want to change them. If you value your health more than that glass of wine, it'll be much easier to break that habit. All right, team, you know your habits, you know what you have to do, and if you can't do it on your own, please reach out. There are obviously practitioners like Gina all around the country, but she is here for us and she is going to help us with our habit-breaking changes that we are going to make. Um, I wish you all the best of luck. I've just listed about three others in my mind that I really know that I need to work on. But now that you've pointed them out and I do know, it's hard to unknow, Gina, isn't it? (laughs) It is, unfortunately, but knowledge is power. (laughs) So many great dot points from Dr. Gina Cleo there. But firstly, Gina, I'd really like to thank you for sharing your personal story so openly for our benefit. It's really powerful to hear how these tools have changed your life and your clients' lives in turn. 
I absolutely relate to the idea of starting small and with just one change. Like I mentioned in the intro, exercise is something that I've struggled with. I know, I know how important it is, and yes, I do do it, but I wouldn't call it a habit yet because I'm still often debating with myself, will I do it today? And I'd really like that to change. After all, 120 years old is my goal. So, I think I'll begin with the micro habit concept that Gina mentioned and the idea of anchoring my new exercise habit into my existing routine, which does make perfect sense. Oh, and I loved the five second rule. Do, don't think. This is one that I'm going to need to draw on for this, I believe. If you're thinking or looking for a habit to test these tools out on, you might like to look at your sleep habits like Gina mentioned. I'm really fired up to get started. We would love to hear about your habit journey too, so please connect with us on our socials. And if you'd love to learn more about Dr. Gina, please just head to drginacleo.com. Until next week, I'm Shelley Craft, and together we are here to age well one tiny habit at a time. Have a great week. As always, the Aging Project podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. Always seek medical advice from a qualified practitioner.